this week we're going to base our last message off a Bible character who I'll introduce momentarily. So as we think about how do you close this series? I mean, how do you go from freaking out to friends to failure to found out? What, what's the appropriate message to kind of close off this series? And as we prayed, as we worked as a team, we realized we need to turn our focus from inward outward now and look forward and look to the future. And as we think about the future, we recognize a lot of people have fear about the future. Like there's a general cultural lack of confidence when it comes to the future. Now think about this. I'm going to put the word future here on the screen. Future. What comes to mind? What comes to your mind online or in the room? What comes to your mind when I say the word future? When I put in the, the, before your future? If you're a person of faith, what, what, what does it mean for you and your following of Jesus when I say future? Or if you're not a person of faith, you're just here to kind of get some encouragement or try to learn something or try to find out what the heck is going on. When you think of future, what, what, what comes to mind? You see, God designed this in such a way that when it comes to looking forward to the future, our hearts should be filled with expectation. Our hearts should be filled with anticipation. That when we look forward to the future, we should be excited. Why? Because God designed the future to be full of possibility. And there are some people, come on, who can do that. But most of us, we see a little bit of possibility. Let's be really real for a moment. Come on, this is me included. What we really see, we see this, 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 this you know, potential of possibility. But lurking in the background with a dark looming shadow is the very real presence of uncertainty. And so God created us to see possibility, but so often the way the world works, the way we've been hurt, the way we've failed, and all the fears that we've gone through, all we can see is uncertainty. And that certainty fills our hearts with fear. Uncertainty about the economy, uncertainty about your career, uncertainty about have I chosen the right college uh, course, uncertainty about your health, uncertainty about relationship, just general chaotic uncertainty. And that fear paralyzes us to the point where we don't really move forward voluntarily into our future. We're kind of pushed into it. Ever had the feeling you're pushed into your future? Ever had a feeling like where you weren't sure but don't do, do a job interview or, or, or going to take a risk? And it's almost like life just pushed you into it? And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But the point is, the sense of uncertainty about the future has a powerful effect on our lives. And we have to talk about it. Why? Because I believe that when we're following Jesus, God wants us to have an overcoming faith. What does overcoming faith do? Overcoming faith overcomes the uncertainty of the future. And overcoming faith gives us confidence that there is potential. There is possibility and that God is with us. And if he's with us, then really what can be against us? So jumping straight in today, the question we're asking in this last message as we close off this series is, what help do we have? What help does scripture give us? What help does our faith provide us? What help do we have when fear of the future robs us of our confidence? And I want every single one of us in, online in the room to leave this time today with a sense of confidence. Not a man-made, a manufactured confidence, but a God-factored confidence. That we can have confidence because faith speaks to us. Now, like I said, we're going to look at one more Bible character. This character is found in the book of Judges, chapter 6, verses 11 to 16. His name is Gideon. And if you've grown up in church or been around church, you've probably heard Gideon's name thrown about a few times. If you were raised in Sunday school, he was probably mentioned once a month. 
If you're like me and you weren't raised in church and you weren't raised in a practicing Christian home, you have no idea who Gideon is, which is great because I get to introduce him to you today. But first, a little bit of context. Before we jump in, what's happening uh, from a bigger perspective in this story? Well, what you need to know is this. You're, you're familiar with Genesis. God creates the world. There's, there's Adam. There's Eve. There's, there's Noah. There's Abraham. All these amazing characters. Uh, then there's, of course, Jacob has 12 sons. become the 12 tribes. They go to Egypt. Time goes by, they keep multiplying. Eventually, there are thousands of people. They're like a small nation, but now they're enslaved to Pharaoh, who's the king of Egypt, right? Then, of course, God raises up Moses with a promise. I'm going to set my people free. You're going to lead them out to this promised land. It doesn't go according to plan because, again, not God's fault, our fault. We screw up and we take the long way, right? So 40 years in the desert, Moses dies. God raises up Joshua. Joshua's the new leader. Joshua crosses the Jordan into the promised land, takes back the land that belonged to Abraham, settles the Jewish people there. He then passes on. And then there's a kind of period of silence where there's no obvious leader at the, at the spearhead at the front of Israel. And they're looking around at all these other countries with their palaces and their kings and the manifest uh, you know, power of authority visualized in those persons. They're going, hey, we have no leader. And it's almost like the expression goes, when the cat's away, the mice will play. You know what I'm saying? It's like this video I watched on Instagram yesterday. These parents saying to their two toddlers, they put these wine gums on the table and said, hey, don't eat these wine gums just yet. We're going to leave the room. When we come back, you can have them, right? And they left the room, left the camera rolling. What do you think two toddlers do when sweets are on a table and the parents go away? Man, they were dancing. They were high-fiving. They, were, they couldn't believe it. All these wine gums and no supervision. And there in these beautiful little children is a picture of humanity, Right? If no one sees and no one knows, sure, what harm could it do? Sure, it's not going to hurt anyone if I eat a few wine gums. So for the Israelites, what that meant was they kept turning away from God and turned to false idols and other religions, man-made religions, religions that served their own individual purposes. The consequence of the consequence of them turning their back on God was God was no longer able to protect them from their choices. Because here's the thing, God gives us wisdom to make wise choices. But listen, God does not control us. And God does not coerce us. God does not manipulate. God does not overpower. God's not going to bully us into submission. Why? Because what, what genuine, la- lasting, loving relationship can truly be cultivated with tools of coercion, manipulation, and control? It can't. For a real relationship to flourish, there has to be freedom and freedom of choice. And God gave the people of Israel the same thing as you and me today. He gives us the freedom to choose. But just like a lot of us today, they chose the wrong path. And so consequentially what's happening is the people of Israel have been invaded by this neighboring uh, nation called the Midianites. They've come in, they, they had, back in this period of history, camels, they'd come in fast, they'd, they'd rape, they'd pillage, they'd kill, they'd destroy, rob all their crops. And this was going on for seven years. You think you're having a bad week, seven days. Imagine having a bad seven years. And eventually people turn and say, God, we need your help. And God isn't like sulking in the corner saying, ask me 10 times or ask me nicely. God is just waiting for an invitation. And maybe you're in the room watching online and you're not a Christ for you. are going, where's God and why isn't God? God is waiting for you to open your heart and to give him an invitation. See, it says in the book of Revelation, God stands in the door and knocks, but the handle is on the inside. We have to, he's not going to kick in the door. We have to allow him in. And so it's in this context of misery. It's in this context of 
challenged, of being bullied, of being marauded, of being, of being pillaged, that God enters the story and intersects with a guy called Gideon. Now, what's so crucial about the story is when you think about economically, politically, and spiritually, this whole period of history, this, this entire moment is a lost cause. Like when you look at it, you go, how, how can you rescue this? In fact, as we're going to see in a moment, even Gideon himself asked the question, like, what are you going to do? It, it, it's, a, it's a pile of junk. It's a lost cause. And maybe you're here today or watching and you feel like I'm a lost cause. My life is a lost cause. I think about the future and all the mistakes I've made and, and all the failure of the past overshadows the possibility of the future. And I think about the future, all I think is it's a lost cause. Here's what I need you to know. God specializes in lost causes. Listen carefully. You're looking at one right here. You're looking at one right here. I'm a, I was a lost cause. In many ways, still am. But God's grace in my life makes me able. Maybe you feel like you're a lost cause. God specializes in lost cause. Let's jump into the story. Verse 11. So, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak of Orpha that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, whose son, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. Now, time out, okay? If you're not used to the Bible, that's a lot of complex language. What are these? What, what's a threshing wheat? What's a wine press? Who's a Midianite? And who's Joash? What a cool name. Um, it's very important. So the angel here in verse 11 is an actual angel. So let's just pin that one for a second, okay? So an angel appears. He's sitting down casually under an oak tree. Why not? It's hot in Israel. And, uh, and we're told this, this, this land, this oak tree area belonged to a guy called Joash, okay? He actually was a priest for a false god, which is quite interesting. And we're told that his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the millions. This is so crucial. Why? Because Gideon is doing the same thing that we all do when we're afraid. Gideon is doing the same thing that we all do when we're afraid. He's hiding. He's hiding. Now, he's hiding because his physical life is in danger. He's hiding because his source of income is in danger. He's obviously a farmer. He's hiding because he understands that his enemy is real and can cause him serious harm. But maybe for us today, we're hiding spiritually from God. Maybe we're hiding emotionally from our spouse. Maybe we're hiding from being more committed, engaged in God's church. But we're hiding. That's what we do when we're afraid. And, and what that means is, in terms of threshing in a wine press, was, was back in this, in this time, uh, farmers would thresh wheat. So what they'd do is they'd gather all the grain, they'd put it in a pile, they'd get a pitchfork, they'd throw it in the air, and all the chaff would get blown away by the wind, and all the seed would remain. It makes sense. Usually, threshing of wheat was done on a hill, where there's wind, and we're not going to get a bunch of chaff in your face. But Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press. Now, a wine press, you can imagine what it is. It's basically like a hole, usually in a hollow, in a valley. It's underground because you want to keep the wine cool. It's like a cave where they put all the grapes in. And then obviously, back then, it stands on all the grapes. No, no hygiene, no, no cleaning of feet, no cutting of toenails. Imagine that. And, uh, and then from that will be produced wine. So Gideon is in a hole in the ground hiding, threshing wheat. And more than likely, the reason why he was given this job and no one else in his family was because he was the youngest. That's how cultures worked right then. So, so Gideon is hiding, doing something you would never do in a place you'd never do it. Sound familiar? And all of a sudden, this angel shows up. 
And it's angels more than just an angelic being. And please don't think of a small, cute, cuddly baby with like a halo. That's not a biblical angel. Um, very often when we see angel, they, they, they're, they're, they're in human appearance. Most, most encounters with an angel, people don't even recognize they're talking to an angel. And an angel simply is a messenger. A messenger. The, in, the angel symbolizes God's presence. The angel symbolized, the angel speaks to the fact that when Gideon felt alone in a hole, hiding where no one could see him, forgotten, last in his family, God saw him. And he was not alone. This is really important. Because sometimes we can find ourselves in a hole alone, wondering, does anyone see me? And God sends a messenger. God sends an angel. And what we find is Gideon's posture is not one of faith, Oh, thank God, an angel. Woo, let's throw a party. Gideon is not exactly excited. Gideon isn't even impressed. We find that Gideon has superimposed onto the world a view that comes from his own story, one of defeatism and one of negativity. See, Gideon felt defeated. Gideon was living in negativity. Therefore, everything else he, could, he looked at was also defeated negative. It's so interesting how you know, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. You know, just the other day, I was, I was playing golf. And bear with me for a second. I'm going to use a golf analogy, everybody. And, uh, and this applies to any sport. And I just hit a bad shot. And I, oh, man, bad shot. That's terrible. And then I hit another bad shot. And I hit another bad shot. And pretty soon, I lost my, my grip, my control of the game. And just started thinking, man, I'm so bad at this. I can't do this. Why do I bother? The worst thing is, you know what the worst thing is? You know, do you know if you're a guy and playing golf? You know what the worst thing is? Your wife thinks you're having fun. She thinks you're going to have fun. It's suffering for 18 holes. I don't know why we do it. And so, but as I began to speak negatively over myself, guess what happened to the game? It got worse and worse and worse. Until one point I said, Jamie, you're a grown man. Get a hold of yourself. I kind of, you know, emotionally grabbed myself in the neck and slapped myself a few times. Get a grip, man. Stop moaning like a baby, okay? Get your stuff together. Let's get going. And as I began to change my mindset and change my, 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 my self-talk changed my, my outlook. All of a sudden, the game began to change. Now, again, that's a trivial example of what we can do in our own power, with our own words. How much more, how much more when God speaks something over us? How much more when God gives us a promise? How much more when God intervenes and says, I see you and you are not alone? This is exactly what happens because in verse 12, the angel Lord appeared to you and said, the Lord is with you mighty warrior. I mean, just put yourself in your worst day. Put yourself in your worst day. It's a bad hair day. It's a bad face day. It's a bad pay, pay the bills day. It's a bad traffic day. Of course, it's raining. Your window's broken, so you're getting wet too. It's windy. I mean, picture yourself on your worst day. You're wondering, where is God? What's the point? Does anyone care? Does anyone see me? And then God shows up. And the first thing he says to you, I'm with you, mighty warrior. You're thinking, what? What? Have you seen my hair? Have you seen my face? What do you mean you're with me? Where were you 10 minutes ago when my window was broken? Where were you last week? Where were you last year? Where were you when I got that diagnosis from the doctor? Where were you when that person left me? Where were you when I had that fall? Where were you when the world abandoned me? But it's so interesting. Despite Gideon being defeated and negative, despite Gideon being isolated alone, despite Gideon hiding in a hole, we see a very important principle, and that is this. The Lord spoke to Gideon 
not as he was, but as he can be. This is so important. Because let's be honest, when you're suffering and when you're down and when you're in work or on the golf course or in life and you're feeling sorry for yourself, you don't actually want someone to feel sorry for you. Because feeling sorry for you makes you feel better, but people telling you the truth makes you better. What you want, we need is someone to come along and say, hey, I believe in you. You can do this. There is a point. There is a purpose. The game is not over. Yes, it may be a bad chapter, but thank God for seasons, for days, for weeks, for months, for quarters, for years, that we have the grace of turning a page. Woo! Thank God that's over. And the next page is yet to be written. See, when God speaks to you, He doesn't speak to you according to your past, who you were. He doesn't speak to you as you are right now. He speaks to you as you can and will be as you trust in His plan and purpose. This is something we talk about all the time in our church, that we believe every single person in this room and online, that you were made for more. You were made for more. More than just this life. More than just working and paying bills. More than just commuting and feeding babies and buying clothes and studying and just generally breathing. You were made for more. Your life has purpose. Your life has promise. And God sees you and God calls you. And God has called you to what we call an extraordinary purpose in Christ. Now again, don't get me wrong. It's not like one day we're going to be living this extraordinary life. It's the idea that in the mundane, in the ordinary, in the day-to-day, God can break in and do something extraordinary. That we are put on this earth for purpose. More than just sucking air and paying the tax man, we are put on this earth to make a difference. But let's be honest. Very often, just like Gideon, maybe you're here and you go, well, I can hear that and I can like that and maybe I can even subscribe to that. But I find it hard to follow. Why? Because, because when we think about being made for more and God calling us as we can be in future, again, that sense of uncertainty looms. What if? What if? What if? And the truth is we need courage. But to have courage, we need confidence. And we're going to find out in a second how we get that. But in verse 13, something crucial happens. Because again, sometimes it's so... <coughs> It's so easy to think the Bible is like any other fairy tale, never lives happily ever after. I love the scriptures because it is honest and it's true. It doesn't hide back from human frailty. It doesn't hide back from tough questions. The Bible isn't a self-help book that makes us better. It's a manual for life. And in it, we see reality. For example, in the story, Gideon doesn't go, amen, I'm a mighty warrior with extraordinary purpose. Gideon is the same thing that you would do, that I would do, that any of us would do if we on our worst day had an encounter with God. He says, pardon me, Lord. Excuse me. If God is with us, then why the heck is this happening to us? I mean, mighty warrior, God's got a plan for your life. Why all the misery? Why all the suffering? If, God, if, this, if this nice thing you're saying is true, then where is God? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord, here's the crushing remark, has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian, their enemies. You see, Gideon felt what we all feel when things go wrong. He felt abandoned. He felt like God had abandoned him, had abandoned his family, had abandoned his nation. 
And again, maybe you're in this room today watching online and you feel abandoned. Maybe it's by a, a loved one, maybe by a spouse, maybe by a parent, by a colleague, by a co-worker. Or maybe it's by God. You just feel genuinely abandoned by God. Of course, this is a classic pushback in our culture. You know, whenever we talk, have spiritual conversation, the first pushbacks we get is, where is God? Like if God were real, there wouldn't be all these problems in the world. If God were real, there wouldn't be suffering. If God was good and benevolent, all-powerful, surely God would intervene. Yes and no, right? Because like I said, God does not coerce us or control us into relationship. For example, I could say to you, the best way to protect your wife and make sure or your kids, they don't get hurt, is by wrapping them up in bubble wrap and chaining them in your basement. Right? You can feed them. You can wash them. And they don't go anywhere. Total control, right? They're safe. Nothing bad is going to happen to them, right? They go wrong. Because you know, individual liberty and a sense of autonomy and a sense of being able to make a, a choice of free will is important to what it means to be safe and to be whole and to be alive. And God does not violate our sense of personal autonomy. He gives us an invitation, but we must choose. And the truth is this, the reason why there's starving people in the world, the reason why there's human trafficking, the reason why there's injustice, isn't because of a lack of God, it's because of the presence of humanity. Humans hurt humans, people hurt people, people take advantage, people manipulate, people damage. And just because there's suffering in the world doesn't prove or disprove God. It makes us ask different questions. Dean asks, where's God? Like, where's the good old times? Like, we've heard the stories of, of Moses and Jesus and the Apostle Paul. Like, where are all the memories now? Where are all the good times? Where are all the miracles? We've heard of God doing so many things. Where are they now? Where is God? It's so fitting that, that we should have this message today because, believe it or not, right now you are sitting in a miracle. I know, right? It's like, what, what, what do you mean? Is gold just going to fall from the ceiling? No, unfortunately not. Well, who knows? <laughs> You're sitting in a miracle because four years ago, a handful of us rented this room and said, what could it look like one day to have a life-giving church in Dublin 15? Now, we didn't know anyone in this area. We had no one coming to our Navin location from this area. We, we just literally felt like God said, I want you to start a life-giving church in Dublin 15 in 21st century Ireland. It was like, Lord, kill me. I mean, come on. Are you serious? Who really wants a life-giving church in Dublin? I mean, come on. We felt like this is what God was calling us to do. And so we got some money together. We rented this room, and we st stood in this room, and we prayed. And we said, God, we don't know the names. We can't see the faces. We don't know the stories, but you see and you will summon them because you are sticking with them to this place. Let me show you a photo. This is a photo of that meeting uh, many years ago. This is Michael Murphy, a good friend of our church. He's been executive pastor of Hillsong Church in Australia. And of course, Pastor Sam, campus pastor, location pastor in Navin. We stood in this very room and we dreamt of this moment. And we said, God, we don't have any money. We don't have any equipment. We don't have a band our production team, or a kids team. There was no microphone. Literally, there, I was shouting, there's no microphone in this room. Like, there was just a handful of people, a prayer and a promise. Look around. If you're, not, you're watching on camera, you can't see this, but right now there's people in this room, come on. And that is worth celebrating, right? 
And we're going to be here this week, and we're going to be here next week, and we're going back to screen three. And then we're going to evaluate because, hey, if we want to be here every single week, it's easy. All you got to do is invite everyone you know. Because as soon as we can fill these seats, this is church every Sunday. So if you work with me, we can make this a reality. The point is this, is that it's so easy to ask where are the miracles because we forget what was prayed for yesterday. Listen carefully. What was prayed for yesterday is taken for granted today. What was like, man, if God could move, if God could answer, if God were real, oh God, and then God does, people go, oh wow, how did you do that? Well, I'm great. Well, I have a degree. Well, let me tell you about how great I am. Like, all of a sudden, God goes out the window because when we're living in the presence of a miracle, it's normal. It's no longer miraculous. Like, for you right now in this room, you're like, so what? It's a screen, it's a seat, you know? For us, who were here four years ago, this is like, thank you, God. Like, we came here with nothing but a prayer and a promise. I didn't know any of you existed, but God saw you. And God called you. And whether you know or not, or believe or not, whether you're a Christian or not, God has you in this space and online right now on purpose for a purpose. There is nothing coincidental and nothing accidental about the, the angel that appeared to Gideon and there's nothing coincidental or accidental about you being in this room right now. This is not the end. This is just the beginning of our journey and you are part of it. You see, Gideon asked, where are the memories? Gideon asked, where are the miracles? You know what God asks? Where are the men? And women. Like, you want a miracle? You want me to do something that's worth remembering? Step up. Step out. Give me something to work with. You know why we don't see more miracles in our time? Because how many of us really, honestly, are willing to step out in faith and be wrong and be a failure and lose everything for the sake that just maybe God might answer our prayer? I just told you a testimony that we stepped out in faith Four years ago, we just showed up, we prayed, we raised some money, bought some equipment, put out an invitation, and you know, every single week outside the lockdown, since that day to here, we've been here consistently, faithfully. Whether it was 300 or 30, we were here. Because here's what happens when our consistency intersects with God's character, God's faithfulness. That's where miracles happen. A lot of times we're saying, God, do this, God, do that. But yet we're falling off, falling off, falling off. But God's on track to meet us. What we can do is stay, because God's looking, give me a man, give me, a, give me a person that will step up and step out and watch me move. See, here's, here's the shocking reality of Gideon's story. And it's going to sound really challenging to us today. Gideon's accusation was the reason why there aren't more miracles and more memories the reason why all these bad things are happening is because God has abandoned us. But the truth is, God asks us in response, well, give me something to work with. It's not that I have abandoned you, it's that we have abandoned God. We have abandoned God. Let's be honest. We have turned our back on him. When he says, follow me into the word, follow me in prayer, follow me in service, follow me in generosity, follow me in trusting me, we go, uh, maybe not. This isn't new. This goes right back to the story of Adam. That human beings, the minute we were given the gift of free will, we have been naturally almost like a default mode, been choosing the opposite path to God. Like, what is it about Christianity? Remove all the religion, all the scandal. What is it about the Christian message that is so offensive? I mean, we worship a God who loves us, 
who sacrifices for us, who calls to kindness and service and generosity. What's so offensive about the Christian message? Why are other religions embraced as good and useful parts of society, but Christian is blacklisted? What is with that? I'll tell you what it is, because it's true. And something in us knows it. And something in us knows that God's behind it. And something in us rebels because we're afraid. It's almost like, it's almost like we're afraid that, you know, uh, that if, if we, we're, we're kind of comfortable, aren't we, with the grip and the terror of the enemy that we know, right? The en- better the enemy know, we know than the enemy we don't know. And we're afraid if I truly trust God, if I really give my, if I really step up and step out, will he fail me? Will he humiliate me? Will he let me down? You see, Gideon, Gideon's charge against God was Gideon said, you have given us into the hand of our enemy. You abandoned us. But the truth is this, we haven't given, God hasn't given us into the hand of our enemy. We've taken it. I'll say it again. God did not put you into the hand of addiction. God did not put you into that relationship. God did not put you in that mental place. God did not put you in the consequences, the choices you made. You took that hand willingly and joyfully to begin with, and all of a sudden you realize what a mistake I've made. And just like the Midianites, you've been stolen from. You've been marauded. You've been attacked. You're beaten down, hiding in a hole, ashamed, scared, and afraid, trying to live life, trying to keep the brave faith, trying to keep it going. And maybe even believe in the lie that God, God, God is against you. What we see in the story is the mercy and grace of God. That God specializes in lost causes. Amen. That we cannot outsin God's grace for us. That we cannot overstep or outstep or, or run far enough away from it. In fact, nothing can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. That's why he came. He came to show us, no matter what we do, how we do it, word, God, we can never outsin, outrun God's love for our lives. God says in verse 14, the story continues, he says, so Gideon has this kind of hiffy moment, and then the Lord says, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of the Midian's, out of the Midianites, out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? And Gideon's like, are you even listening to me? I'm like pushing back about all this, and you're going the strength you have and save the whole nation. And of course, Gideon's thinking the same thing we're thinking. What strength? I'm the one threshing wheat in the wine press, remember? I'm the one who obviously, when it comes to the family hierarchy, was last on the list because I was given the worst job. What strength do I have? Go back to the verse, please, Matthew. Again, it says, am I not sending you? So we ask the question, what strength? Here's the strength we have. Our strength isn't innate. Our strength, like I said, isn't manufactured. Our strength is in our sending. Our source is not in us. Our source is in the one who sends us. Just like when an ambassador comes to a country. If you go to Dublin right now and try and knock on the door of the American ambassador, you might get shot. But you go, hang on, this is my country. This is Ireland. It's not America here, son. You know what I'm saying? We're the land of Michael Higgins and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Oh, St. Patrick and Tommy Tiernan. We're not not America here. But the truth is that when a foreign entity comes into our nation, its power is based on the reality of the one that sent it. And so we have to recognize the power, the authority, the position of the ambassador because he's from America, who happened to be, in case you haven't noticed, 
one of the world's leading superpowers. How much more God in heaven who can snap his finger and make America disappear? What he says, I am sending you, go in the strength you have. What strength do we have? We have the strength of the knowledge that God has sent us. You're living in a testimony. Because when we came here, we didn't have, like I said, money or people, but we had a sense of where God was sending us in this community to be a lighthouse, to say to Dublin 15 and to the city, God has a plan and purpose. God is not done. God is a God of healing. God is a God of freedom. God is a God of lost cause. And to anyone who would hear and open their hearts, God wants to come in and build a life with them. Our strength is not in our talents, our gifts, our abilities. Our strength is in the one who sends us. See, the call of God will never take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. The call of God will never take us where the grace of God cannot sustain us. Yes, at first, it's like, oh my gosh, I don't have the ability, I don't have the, the power, I don't have the money, but I'm going to take a step of faith anyway because you're sending me. And it's so interesting because here we are a few years later in this room and we have a few people and we have equipment. Ask yourself the question, where did all this come from? Now the answer is God. And in a few years' time, when this room is packed to the the rafters and we're doing multiple services and you go, where did all this come from? God. And when it comes time to have another Lyle's church in another location because we want more people to hear the good news and someone goes, where did all this come from? God, it's all from him. It's all for him. It's all of him. And the same way is true for our church. It's true for your life. Whatever God has called you to do, I'm not negating the fact that it takes courage and confidence. I'm just saying that you can go in the knowledge that your strength is in the one that sent you and his grace will never bring you beyond where he can sustain you. Gideon responds, second half verse, verse 15. He says, pardon me, Lord. Excuse me. He's like, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, which is one of the 12 tribes, and I am the least in my family. And you're going, come on, Gideon, even we've got it by now. They get to see it, God's doing something. But it's interesting, despite God's promise and despite God's presence, Gideon still has a pardon. Excuse me, you want me to do what? You guys, I'm the guy in the wine press. Like, I am the youngest I am the weakest, and I'm the loser in this family. Like, our clan is the smallest in our tribe. Our tribe is not the biggest, and we're in the losing nation. We're in the losing side. Like, are you mad? Are you crazy? What do you go? How can I? I'm young, I'm weak, and I'm lost. And again, we see a connection. Gideon did the same thing we all do. When we have a challenge, or an area we take responsibility at a place we said, Gideon did the same thing we all do. He made excuses. Why not get committed in church? Why not get in a connect group? Why not join the dream team? Why not tell your friends about your faith? Why not really love your spouse? Why not love you know, your community? Why not give away some of your resources? Why not commit to tithing in our church? Why, why, why? Oh, well, let me tell you. All the excuses. So many excuses. Life is so crazy, so busy, so blah, 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 blah. Do you know how excuses get you? Nowhere. Some of us are, 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 uh, 
our, at the end of our life will, will be summarized as one long list of glorified excuses. Our life will be all the things we almost did, all the things we could have done, but we didn't. you know why? Because we're ma- oh, every single person, and me included, in this room, should be given an honorary doctorate in excusiology. Because we are masterful at it. I mean, especially growing up in this country, we are so good at talking our way out of absolutely everything. We are so, it's just, so, we're so good. At, I'm thinking, if only we could use it to talk people into stuff, would it be so much more beneficial? But like, we just make excuses. And the reason why Gideon was making excuses because he did not, he expected nothing from God. See, the whole time, how can I? What strength? I'm young. I'm weak. I'm a loser. Me, 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 me. God's saying, Gideon, stop looking at you and look at me. God's saying to you, online in the room, stop looking at you, your resource, your talent, your brokenness, your inability, your limitation, and look at me. Look what I can do. Look at my strength. Look at the possibility of what we can do together in the future. Four, Four years ago, we did exactly that in this room. With an empty room full of chairs, we said, man, if we look at ourselves, this, this seems crazy. But if we look at God, all things are possible. You see, our expectation of God determines our excuses to God. How, how, how we see God in, 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 in light of how we see him determines the level of excuses we make towards him. God's only limitation in our lives is our expectation. God's all-powerful. God can do all things, but God will not force his way into our lives. If we expect nothing, we get nothing. And for some of you, that's exactly your philosophy. Do you know what? If I don't expect anything, I can't get hurt. I can't get let down. I, I, I won't be damaged again. I won't be taken advantage again. But that's not living, is it? Because to live in the world, we have to take risks. We have to reach out. We have to connect. We have to give people the benefit of the doubt. We have to try again. Otherwise, we're not human. We're robots. And the only limitation God has is our expectation. Gideon had a no. Gideon had, Gideon had no conviction that God could do something. Gideon had no courage because he had no conviction. And because Gideon had no conviction, no courage, therefore Gideon had no confidence that God could move. God said, hey, don't limit me. I'm God, trust me. Reach out, take a step of faith. Lean on me, take a risk with me. You know, if you, if you can be convicted of the fact that I am who I say I am, and you can find the courage to believe that you will have confidence to step into your future. What, if, what of course, is God's response to all this? What did God say to Gideon's excuses? What was God's response to Gideon's blabbering, to Gideon's excusiology? Very simply in verse 16, the Lord answered, I'll be with you. And what? And I'm transferring a million euro in the bank account. And here comes that dream woman. And here comes that promotion. And don't worry about studying because I'm going to give you strays. Like, and what, Lord? That's it. But did you not hear me? I'm young, I'm weak, I'm a loser. Don't worry. I'm with you. But God, I'm not able. I'm broken. I don't have the confidence. I don't have the courage. I don't know how. Don't worry. Whatever you lack, the space, the, the, the part of you that doesn't have what it takes, I'll fill that with me. And a little bit of God is more than enough. A little bit of God is more than enough. 
And again, this, this, isn't a, this isn't a new promise. This is repeated all the time throughout Scripture. You fast forward the clock to, to when Jesus on the earth, and just after dying on the cross and being resurrected, he turns to his disciples in Matthew 28 and verse 20. He says, and surely I'm with you always. He literally just says to them, you can read in verse 18, I have called you to go into all the world. And remember, at this point, Christianity is 11 people. Total population of Christians worldwide, 11 people. Maybe a couple of hundred, depending on how you view uh, soteriology around the time of Jesus' resurrection. But it's only a handful of people. And Jesus says, you're going to go out and change the world. Things like slavery, things like racism, things like inequality, things like all these injustices, you're going to go out and you're going to make a difference in the world It's going to make these things that are okay and not okay and bring about liberation, life, and prosperity for the nations of the world. And they're going... What? What? Excuse me. I'm the weakest. I'm the least. I'm a loser. And God says, yeah, but you're on the winning team. I am with you. I am with you. And listen, that's enough. You go to the hospital this week, doctor gives you bad news, don't worry, he's with you, it's enough. You open your bank account later on, you, can't, you have no money by lunch, don't worry, God's with you, it's enough. You feel like you're beaten up and broken down. You have no future, no hope. Don't worry. God's with you. That's enough. Whenever you find yourself, the end of yourself with nothing else in the world, no help, no hope, and God is with you, it's enough. Because God leads you into community. And God leads you into healing. And God leads you into rest. And God leads you into restoration. And God leads you into an extraordinary purpose, into a future that is filled with possibility. See, He is. If you're here, you're going, hey, what does it mean to be a Christian? Here's what it means to be a Christian. He is all that we have. As those who have faith, we've realized that He is all. That when you strip away my wealth and my health and my position and status, all I have in life is Jesus. But when you lived a minute, you realize He's also all we need. He's not only all we have, he's all we need. And this is the gospel, the good news. The good news that Jesus came into our world and just like Gideon, we were dead in our sin, hiding in a hole, no strength, no power, weak, young, unable, broken, loser. And Jesus steps into our story and he calls by name and he picks us out of the, the hole in the ground and gives us dignity and gives us healing. And sets us free from the bondage of, of, of slavery. And says, I've got a plan and purpose for your life. And it's going to be great. And together we're going to make a difference in this world. The gospel is that when we put our trust in Jesus, he leads us to a place where we can achieve things that aren't humanly possible in our own strength. Because our strength isn't in ourselves. It's in the one who sends us. And if you're a Christian in this room, our reason for being alive right now in the city of Dublin isn't just to make money and have a good life. Those are good and okay things. The primary reason why we're here is to show people the good news. You don't have to be alone. And you have to be in a hole. And you, have to, you don't have to be depressed or downtrodden or, or destroyed because God is with you. Where is our confidence? What is the base for our confidence? Very simply, our confidence comes from the certainty that we have in Christ, that God is with us. Who can be against us? What an amazing promise. Of course, what's Gideon's response to all this? How does Gideon respond to God's, to God's promise? Well, in verse 18, he says, please not go away until I come back and bring an offering and set it before you. Gideon's response 
to the possibility of a future with God is worship. And what is worship? It's a recognition of worth. Something, a light bulb went off in Gideon's head. He realized, hold on a second, this is not about me and my limitation. It's about my expectation of what God can do. I don't have conviction or courage, therefore I have confidence, but if I can change that conviction, all of a sudden confidence begins to grow. And as soon as that, that, that confidence grows, all of a sudden things become possible. Gideon brought an offering. I wonder what it is today God's asking you to give him. Is it your heart? Is it your wallet? Is it your time? Is it hurt from the past? Is it stubbornness? Maybe, you're, maybe your disbelief has become your identity. And God's saying, give it to me. Put it on the altar and give it to me. Again, I can't tell you what God's speaking to you. All I can say is ask God, but I know this for certain. God is asking us to recognize his value in our lives and come to a place of worship. And worship is so much more than singing. So much more than singing. It's a sacrifice. It costs us something. And today maybe God has called you to, to give him your heart and to trust him.